This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi guys, no, 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 no. Yes, I did that. And you would do it too, Quache. What is this? A face? What is this? A book? Oh my God. Facebook. I did you Welcome to Don't Let This Flop, a podcast about internet culture brought to you by Rolling Stone. Where two smart people talk about the dumbest shit that happened online this week. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm EJ Dixon. So last week, we talked about what it looked like when an artist trusts and seems to enjoy the TikTok long game, as is the case with Lizzo and About Damn Time, which kind of worked in her favor to make that single as big as it has been. But what we didn't get to was what happens when a label seems to be forcing an artist to engage with the app to promote their music. So over the weekend, Halsey made news claiming just that. In a video they posted on Sunday, the singer-songwriter, who uses she-they pronouns, FYI, will probably use both because they prefer the combination of the two, posted a selfie video with a new song and some overlay text. Halsey wrote, Basically, I have a new song that I love that I want to release ASAP, but my record label won't let me. I've been in this industry for eight years and I've sold over 165 million records. And my record company is saying that I can't release it unless they can fake a viral moment on TikTok. Everything is marketing. And they are doing this to basically every artist these days. I just want to release Music Man, and I deserve better, to be honest. I'm tired. Shots fired. Yeah, pretty damning thing and to post publicly. So Halsey isn't the first artist to point this out. Famously, Adele did an interview with Apple Music St. Lowe when she was promoting her latest album. And Adele, of course, is one of the best-selling artists of all time and has been one of the artists to continue being able to sell a million records with each release week as it becomes less and less of a thing as it is now with streaming. But Adele claimed even that her label had asked her her to cater to teens on TikTok with her new album, asking that she'd have a TikTok-friendly moment or song. Of course, Adele decided to not do that and did not end up choosing to do That's that. That's not even her audience. It's not her, and she makes a point of saying that. She's like, my audience is like 30-somethings. Moms. Yeah, moms. Yeah. Like, she was like, I'm Drunk making moms. music for people who've been to therapy and are working on themselves. Like, She has a song called I Drink Wine, and I think that's perfect. If everyone's making music for the TikTok, who's making the music for my generation? Who's making the music for my peers? I will do that job, gladly. I'd rather cater to people that have, like, are on my level in terms of, like, the amount of time we've spent on Earth and all the things we've been through than... I don't want 12-year-olds listening to this record. It's a bit too deep. But the 30 and 40-year-olds that are all committing to themselves and doing therapy, that's my vibe. Yeah. Yeah, well-adjusted Zoomers, like, 19-year-olds with clear skin and, like, taut abs are not Adele's target market. And it's one of those things, too, where it's like, if you're Adele, you don't need TikTok. And also, it's not like she didn't have a TikTok moment. We talked about this on the podcast. She blew up with Water Under the Bridge and Easy On Mm -hmm. Me. Like, there are songs, any song can really blow up on TikTok. And it can happen in weird ways that go against the idea that you have to make a moment. There are other artists who have said the same, except they're not Adele. So they probably couldn't get away with not creating or posting to a TikTok account. So they did so on their TikTok. Charlie XCX, FK Twigs, and Florence the Machine have all posted videos 
alluding to the idea that they were forced to join the app and post a certain number of TikToks per day to appease the label bosses. Especially like Florence was like, my management and my label asked for me to make some more lo-fi TikToks and she kind of looks a little peeved. And Florence the Machine, like, I kind of hope she doesn't have a phone, you know? Like she has like that vibe to me where I'm like, I feel like she lives in a forest and like Mm -hmm. it communicates through birds. Like I don't, it's like weird to see her on TikTok. Like it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, these people don't need to be on TikTok. They don't need to be on TikTok. So after Halsey posted their first TikTok, however, many users point out that this is exactly what the label wanted because her video did end up creating a viral moment for an unreleased song. The video went wildly viral and of course you know it's Halsey has been active on TikTok before and Halsey is a huge artist like there's a huge huge fan base for Halsey and this video being as damning as it is to say that did end up becoming a big video and so a lot of people threw the quote everything is marketing back in her face which is valid because this video ended up being a viral marketing moment for the song and of course the song is playing underneath the video of sort of like her selfie video with the overlay text. So you are hearing a little bit of the song too in this like multi-million view viral moment that she ends up creating. Mm -hmm. Because nothing gets more attention than a disgruntled artist using the app that they didn't want to use to have to promote their new music to express their anger and then end up using the app to kind of express this frustration with their label. So Halsey ended up doubling down on the claims after this. So after people kind of had mixed emotions about using this platform to talk shit about the label or using this platform to complain about a viral moment creating marketing, Halsey ended up doubling down on a lot of it. So soon after, she had posted a video that was the recording of a call that happened between Halsey and someone at the label, I'm assuming, like a marketing person, where they're basically talking about this viral moment that they're hoping that Halsey will create. And you don't see the person on the other side of the call. It's just kind of like this faceless person chatting with Halsey. Put that out. I think that we put that up like, honestly, I think we put that up like sometime between Monday and Wednesday, whenever they can get the artwork ingested. Mm-hmm. What? I just hate this. Oh, I know. So here's my question. Was this all planned? Like, did the label know she was going to do this? According to Halsey, no. So Halsey called this a TikTok tantrum, quote unquote TikTok tantrum, and said that the label's response was like, that's great that it went viral. And this is all posted on Halsey's Twitter. They still don't know when they're going to release the song. So the entire idea is that Halsey has been just completely blocked from releasing this new song. Also because the label owns the masters, which is a big conversation that has been occurring in the music industry for decades. But of course, it's come up a lot more recently because artists like Taylor Swift have been re-recording their music to in an effort to gain back their masters. There's a lot of kind of conversation about how this really is. I mean, this is like one of the biggest issues with the music industry is that a lot of artists do not own their masters. That's how a lot of contracts work. So Halsey made note to say that a video has been filmed. Fans were like, why can't you just release the song on your own? Halsey said, I literally cannot. The label will not give me a release date. So Halsey has been very, very explicit with saying that like, this is not like she's not doing this because the label's asking them to do this. Like, it's just like a thing that they have chosen to do as sort of a last resort because it's the first time that Halsey has been stopped from releasing the music that they want to release. So I don't know. I'm kind of torn between this because I do support Halsey and I do believe on a pretty large level that, of course, like the label is exploiting or kind of putting artists into weird purgatories with releasing their music. I don't think that's anything new and I don't think that's anything that's incorrect about what's happening on some level. But again, I do think it was a little bit redundant to complain about faking a viral moment and therefore creating a viral moment out of the complaint 
on TikTok. I think they're using the app that was being complained about feels a little like, I don't know, against the point. Okay. I mean, that's what doesn't pass the smell test yes. to me, really. Like, I saw this really great video by this account called Celebrity Memoir Book Club, mm -hmm. which is the account that I'm always watching when my husband invariably says, what the fuck are you watching? Get off TikTok. <laughs> they do really great like celebrity insights and they basically compared this to Kris Jenner. Kris Jenner is sort of like on Keeping Up With The Kardashians. She's always kind of made the villain of because it makes her daughters look better mm -hmm. on the show, basically. And they're like all and she's all too happy to sort of assume that role because she's playing the long game. Like she knows that this only her being the bad guy in different scenarios, like only makes her family look better. And I kind of feel like that may be what's going on here with the record label. Yeah, I want to say the idea of making the manager the bad guy so that the talent can succeed. That's the marketing scheme here. This tweet is about all these musicians blaming their record company for making them get on TikTok. And like that in itself is a marketing scheme. Being like, I need your help to fight my evil record label. I also think that's obviously more complicated because a lot of artists don't own their masters. Like they just don't have right. control on this. Like they don't get a say in when things are released. Like there are so many artists who get put in this weird holding period where they can't release music because you know, the labels banking that the next song is the next big hit, that they'll do better, that they, you know, especially if they're not selling the same or doing the same sort of like big numbers they might have done earlier in their career or that other artists are doing. That's something that Charlie XCX has been caught up in. Like Charlie has been pretty blunt with some complaints about the major label that she had been signed to Atlantic. And she had been, I think, believe like the most recent album crashes her last album with them. But just the idea that she had a big early career with Boom Clap, with I Love It, with Fancy. And then, you know, her career just sort of became a little bit more niche. Like she had a more specific audience after a while and she wasn't making music for a top 40. And then she sort of joked about that with a lot of her music and also kind of played into it with how she even released Crash and the rollout for it. And, you know, with Halsey, her last album was a huge risk of an album. She did it with Nine Inch Nails, technically with Trent Reznor specifically and Atticus Ross, who have done a lot of scores like for movies for Gone Girl and things like that. She worked with them, made an alternative album. She got her first solo Grammy nomination and also didn't do a traditional album rollout, did this like visual album with it, this like film for HBO Max and didn't have a big hit single like Without Me had been for the previous album Manic. And the album did moderately well, but of course, without like the same type of rollout, it was not like a big top 10 hit that's on radio constantly. This wasn't the same sort of Halsey release. So there is a chance that the label did want to return to previous top 40 bait that Halsey has done in the past and been capable of doing. But I also think this kind of highlights a big problem with the music industry, which is that it's entirely reliant on TikTok right now for like marketing moments. Like it just places all of its eggs in this one basket. And I think that's such just such a short-sighted view of the app because as we've discussed like many times a the platform is much larger than that like there have been huge successes on tiktok but like it's it's much bigger than that and b like given the user base of the app like tiktok users can smell bullshit like a mile away right. the thing is that's a ever-present problem with the music industry right like the music industry loves yeah. to put all of its eggs in the most current basket and then like do nothing to actually support or sustain it and especially artists who kind of come from like, look at even like there was a big boom of tiktok specific creators being signed to labels oh i miss those days <laughs> i mean like even like look at someone like ass and ray for example like it's 
kind of wild, like how quickly like the industry was just like, well, the first single didn't become a major hit. We're probably never going to hear any more music from her, at least for a very long time. I don't think that's her fault. I don't even think that was her decision. I think that was probably a label decision because it didn't pop off immediately. And so I think there's like this idea that like something exists and therefore all the major labels will like vulture attack the thing that exists but then they won't do anything to actually make that thing sustainable or translate to any other version of the world. And so we have a lot of TikTok artists who were signed and probably are kind of just like trying to go viral again constantly and not getting proper support or like any sort of like actual anything that's actually like usable for them to create like long lasting careers that go beyond TikTok and go beyond the viral economy. So, I mean, it's just like a shitty way of doing business, but that's the only way the music business has worked, which sucks. Because I like Halsey. I think Halsey is a great artist. I think they're like one of the best artists of the last few years. And I think that their last album was brilliant. And like, it sucks to see them go through this because I do think there's a lot of real pain coming from them based on a lot of the tweets and a lot of what they've been saying, like the fact that they really haven't let up with it. It's been sort of like a continuous conversation that they've created because they seem to be very upset and very truly hurt by not being able to release the song. So we're skipping straight people this week. Brittany, do you want to explain why we're skipping straight people? (laughs) Life is hard enough. It's really COVID. The numbers are higher than ever. Monkeypox. Monkeypox. What what the fuck is that? (laughs) I don't want to talk about it. Going outside is truly horrendous. And it's humid in New York now, and I hate that. So I'm already at like a level of like, I don't want to be unhappy as I enter summer. So I've put us on a few week ban of talking about the Kardashian-Jenner family, but also pop punk boyfriends. I just need a break. I think that's very fair. If we had had to talk about Mod Sun again, like I don't think that my constitution would have been able to take it, especially since Mod Sun fans were like all up in our mentions a couple weeks ago because Mod Sun responded to our segment. <laughs> okay, first off, I helped a lot of people learn who Mod Sun is now. So I know. I thought you were very helpful. So th- you did service Mod journalism. Mod should be thanking me for helping raise awareness. Well, instead, I don't know about you, but I got death threats. So oh, well. <laughs> that's that's what happened in response to your kindness and generosity <laughs> in explaining who Mod Sun is. But would you like to learn about the formula shortage? Yes, And please. about mom shaming and breastfeeding oh, and stuff? Please do. So in lieu of our weekly pop punk boyfriend segment, we're going to do a moral panic of the week segment. The answers can be found in the MTV video games. So how familiar are you with the baby formula shortage that's going on? Do you want like a brief explainer? Give the people a brief explainer because I only know like the basic fact that there is a formula shortage. All right. So that's accurate. There is a formula shortage. That's in large part because there was this major manufacturing plant that shut down due to a tainted batch of formula that resulted in the death of two babies a couple months ago. And that set off basically this whole chain reaction of fuckery where it's been really, really hard for moms to find their baby's formula. And though the government has promised to alleviate the shortage, it's taking a really long time. And a lot of parents are terrified about this. That's basically the TLDR of what's going on right now. It's a very scary situation for parents and soon-to-be parents, of which I am one. And this shortage has prompted what I would classify as two main reactions. What would you say your reaction is? Let's see Let's see which camp you fall in. Do you fall into the good reaction camp or the bad reaction camp? What is your reaction to the formula shortage? Me? It's sad. Yes, that's the right reaction. Yeah, yes, like, yes, I don't know. You got it. <laughs> I didn't realize there was another reaction. I think it's like quite sad because, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of situations where people can't breastfeed. And I think... This is obviously probably very scary for a lot of parents. That is the correct reaction. The other reaction is one that you just alluded to, which is 
well, a lot of people I'm saying like, why don't these parents just breastfeed? And a lot of people like grown ass people have been saying this. Bette Midler did a tweet on it last week, if you recall. Yes. That got her roundly roasted by none other than Julia Fox, who has been having like a really good streak of analysis lately, like really good takes uh, lately, I would say. Uh, really good, but some decent ones, yeah. Did you see her pro Amber Heard take? I was proud of her for that. No, but I'm happy. I'm happy that she did that. But I mean, the reason why people are saying this is because there's kind of an ongoing discourse in this country that predates the formula shortage. And it's among largely educated white middle to upper yeah. middle class parents that breast is best. Have you heard that before? Yeah. That adage? There was definitely a lot of, I feel like, shame that people have put on people who have used formula or like even people who kind of were raised on that. Were you raised on formula? I was a formula baby. I was a formula baby too. Yeah. Look at me. I'm screaming about pop punk boyfriends every week. Shout out to Formula. <laughs> and you have great hair and you're a trendsetter. You predated Olivia Rodrigo in Everybody Going to an American Girl Doll Cafe. Period. That's what you get when you feed your baby Formula. Exactly. You get an adult woman who goes to the American Girl Doll Cafe for brunch. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, a lot has changed since we were brought up. There's been more research that's been published. And from what I can gather over the past few years of being a parent, there are some nutritional advantages to breastfeeding that are undeniable. So breastfeeding is great. But as you mentioned, a lot of people can't do it for various reasons. There are latch issues. There are milk supply issues. It's also a class issue, honestly. Like many have pointed out in the wake of the formula shortage that breastfeeding is free, but it's really only free if you don't take into account the worth of women's time. Yeah. Like it's incredibly time consuming. You have to do it around the clock and you also have to spend money on all sorts of like pumps and pillows and creams and lactation consultants to learn how to do. And that's assuming your child will latch to begin with, which did not happen with my son. And it actually affects up to 15% of new parents, these difficulties with breastfeeding. But of course, you'll never hear that given how much shame and judgment and bat shrieking non-breastfeeding parents face on an everyday basis. And the formula shortage, unfortunately, has really driven up that discourse. And what I've been noticing is that there's an onslaught of people who have a vested interest in promoting the breast is best narrative, sort of trying to capitalize off of the panic around what's going on right now. Have you noticed this at all? I have not. I've seen like countless articles quoting lactation consultants talking about all the barriers to parents trying to breastfeed and giving relactation advice. I got a pitch from a startup called Simplified, which advertises itself as a judgment-free telehealth platform. And basically it was offering free consultations with health experts in response to the formula shortage. And I was like, okay, cool. Maybe they're going to offer free formula to stressed out parents. That's great. I looked it up. It's basically a breastfeeding, like a pro breastfeeding startup that's trying to connect anxious parents with lactation consultants. So basically it was trying to capitalize off the formula shortage and on parents and parents to be anxiety about feeding their kids by pushing breastfeeding, mm -hmm. not by like giving people free formula who like desperately need it, just by saying, hey, you should be breastfeeding regardless of whether you want to or whether you can or not. Hi, this is Future EJ. I got in touch with SimpliFed for comment after we recorded this. They denied trying to push breastfeeding and lactation consultant services on panic-stricken parents, saying their goal is to, quote, non-judgmentally provide support to parents regardless of if they are breastfeeding, formula feeding, or some combination thereof. They also said they have offered free appointments to clients, many of whom are uninsured prior to the formula shortage, and they denied using it as an opportunity for self-promotion. They said it felt wrong not to democratize access to this during the scary and difficult time. Okay, back to the show. 
But they're not the only people that I've seen trying to capitalize on this. I saw this guy, Ted Greiner, who's the editor of the journal World Nutrition, who is just on Twitter ranting about like how the New York Times has an anti-breastfeeding orientation because they had the audacity to publish an article saying formula could save babies' lives. Like that was basically the crux of the article that like before formula babies died and now they don't. And that's like a good thing. And I looked him up. I really wanted to see what he looked like. He's like a 60 year old white man with like whiskers and he's obsessed with women's tits for some reason. And this is how he's channeling that obsession. Yeah, I think I'm also thinking about like the fact that even with the shame that people have placed on parents that and I, I feel like I haven't ever connected these before because I am not a parent and I right. don't have to think about this all the time. But like thinking even just like how much shame is even put on like women publicly breastfeeding too, like the idea that that was so like like it was just like so like grotesque or like racy for them to pull out a boob and breastfeed publicly like I feel like there's been so much like argument and conversation around that on top of all of this which is also insane (laughs) like I feel like that's kind of happened in tandem I mean you're right like it is very much a damned if you do damned if you don't situation for parents like regardless of whether you breastfeed regardless of whether you formula feed like people are just gonna make you feel like shit yeah for having the audacity to reproduce and like I do think that if anybody is interested in having kids like at any point in their lives they should be aware of that especially if they're female identified because it's much worse for women than it is for men. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it does make me really angry that a national tragedy, because that's exactly what this is, Yeah. is reinvigorating a moral panic over an issue that should not have any moral implications whatsoever in the first place. Like, feeding one's child should not be a political issue. It should not be an emotional issue. Yeah. There shouldn't be, like, this narrative attached to it. And people shouldn't try to exploit it. And Bette Midler can go stuff. Did you ever see The Witch? No. <laughs> there's a titty crow in The Witch. There's a, <laughs> there's, there's a crow. <laughs> there's a crow that breastfeeds off of The Witch. Wow. She can go breastfeed off that witch. She can be the titty crow. <laughs> Like, not even Hocus Pocus can compensate for that level of ignorance. Yeah. Just breastfeed. Just breastfeed. Go suck a titty crow. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, don't let those floppers. It looks like Blind Item Gossip's own mass crusader has finally been revealed. <laughs> that was that was like a C. No, I would give it a B minus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That, that wasn't good with compliments. <laughs> <laughs> it was higher than I'd given myself. I'm no Kristen Bell, as I often say. So if you love celebrity gossip, you most definitely follow Jamois. It's impossible. If you have any interest in celebrity gossip, you definitely follow Jamois on Instagram already. So over the last couple of years, the account has become a blind item sensation. Posting almost exclusively to Instagram stories, the account shares followers submitted tips, largely with names blocked as well as celeb sightings. Unlike Crazy Days and Nights, which is, I think, a better blind item website, long running. But it's QAnon. It's QAnon now. Oh, yeah, that's right. 
It's red pills. Well, I liked Crazy Days and Nights. I forgot that they're cute enough. Anyway, Demois banks on quantity over quality. So the gossip is largely grain of salt and, of course, very unconfirmed, though they will often point out if it has come from a source that has proven to have good gossip in the past, like someone who regularly submits to them. It's also quite mundane, mostly casting news and restaurant sightings, bar sightings, mostly New York, some L.A. I feel like it's like largely hinged on New York sightings, a lot of grainy photos, things like that. So also unlike Crazy Days, they rarely follow up on who the gossip is about until it's fully confirmed by the subjects or another tabloid. And even then, that's very rarely. They're probably not following up on it because it is, again, about quantity over quality. They post so much every single day. So that being said, Demois is still incredibly popular. They have 1.5 million followers, a successful merch line, two podcasts, a book deal, and a TV deal based off of the as-yet-unreleased book. So on top of all that, Demois' devoted following has spawned numerous subreddits and Twitter threads decoding the gossip. But it looks like Brian Feldman, who runs the BNet newsletter, has also been spending some time trying to decode who is even running the operation. So Feldman provided a bit of history on the account. It was launched originally back in the 2010s, which I actually had no idea that it had been launched that long ago, as a blog run by two anonymous women who worked in the fashion industry. It didn't quite take off until a pandemic when it moved to a private Instagram account that you have to request to follow because who doesn't love a word of mouth exclusive club? That's full of gossip. It sounds like the ideal. So Feldman makes a point throughout this newsletter to note that he's not doxing the founders. Everything he used to find them is through completely public information. They're quote unquote digital trail of over a decade, as he calls it. So it's a mix of tweets and Instagram tags from long before Demois became the Demois we know today that made it tedious but shockingly easy for Feldman to piece together. So who are they exactly? It appears that the original Demois was founded by Maggie Kempner and Melissa Lavallo. Both are former fashion girls, and it looks like Lavallo has gone solo and is now running Demois on her own. And Maggie Kempner is the granddaughter of Nan Kempner. Yes. Who... If you were obsessed with like W Magazine in the late 1990s, you're like very familiar with that name. Yeah. She was like a huge New York City socialite. Yeah. So what's most fascinating to me is that no one really seemed to care. There was a sense that it was kind of scandalous that the identities were revealed, but it hasn't led to, say, a fan revolt from Demois devotees like the Bored Ape Yacht Club Crypto Bros had done when their founders were unmasked by BuzzFeed's Katie Natopoulos, or when Elena Ferrante Hive created a whole discourse around the Italian author's real name and identity identity being revealed. I guess it makes sense for a fandom built around a love for uncovering blind items, but also Demois has become, for a lot of people, the number one source for celebrity gossip. A lot of people have referenced Demois, a lot of tabloids have used Demois to even break stories based off of their, like, weird semi-unverified gossip that they share and a lot of a lot of big celebrity gossip has kind of come through Demois over the last two years specifically. But what they didn't break the queen being dead. They did not. They should try harder. I was trying to think of examples of stories that they have broken and the only thing I could think of was that they did not break the Jason Lee story. That's true. But yeah, I mean, I feel like part of the reason why nobody's freaking out about this is because it's so depersonalized. You know, like her personality like doesn't really that's not the point. Yeah. You know, it was, it was less exciting than like say on Gossip Girl where it's like a central character, right? Like it's not like Nicholas Braun was revealed to be Gossip Girl, which explains why they post about Nicholas Braun daily. Like <laughs> it would have been more interesting if it were someone that was like kind of famous or like had a little bit of like a little more clout in the celebrity gossip fear. But this is just like two random middle-aged women who worked in fashion years ago. And it's also like, I think with the Katie Natopoulos story, when she outed the Board Ape Yacht Club bro, I feel like 
that was really an excuse for crypto, like misogynists, yeah, to just kind of like go after her. And the same thing with Taylor Lorenz when she published the true identity mm-hmm. of the libs of TikTok lady, which also happened a couple weeks ago. I mean, that person was like a real hate monger who had built like an incredibly like violently transphobic, misogynistic, homophobic audience base, and it really like her publishing that story really gave them an opportunity to be transphobic and homophobic and misogynistic and aim a lot of that harassment to her. Whereas Dumois, I mean, the worst thing that you can say of Dumois is that she's like a bad journalist. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people have pointed out, rightfully so, that Dumois has created this sort of like normalization of like kind of like weird guerrilla paparazzi tactics that people are doing like people are just like going out of their ways to take like a higher volume of like creepy photos at restaurants and bars and at parties of anyone famous that they see and posting them online i think a lot of people's like kids too like that's always been a big tabloid and paparazzi debate right is like who can post photos of someone of like a minor of like a child of a celebrity who has not given their life to but she doesn't do that well sometimes yeah she never posts kids faces she blocks out kids faces yeah i mean i think it's a legitimate question but like at the same time the stuff that she's reporting on is so fucking boring that like yeah a lot of it's so mundane remember when she published a tip of somebody being like saw joe biden in washington dc yeah there was a bunch of fake bernies too for a while like demois kept posting photos that were like I saw Bernie Sanders at a golf course and none of them were clearly none of them are Bernie Sanders like it was yeah, like just some old Jewish guy <laughs> yeah literally not like not a single photo was an actual photo of Bernie Sanders like it was just random old men she did it this weekend she published a tip that somebody saw Jody what's her name Jody Comer yeah from Killing Eve like saw Jody Comer like at this party in New York City and then she published another tip that was like actually Jody Comer's in London she's in a play and this happens like all the time like she is not really very good at what she yeah, does it's quantity over quality it's literally just like there's no sort of like research process it's like anything that gets submitted to Dema, if she sees it it's going to get post like it's going to get added onto there which is another thing that like a lot of people have complained about is the quality of Dema has gotten worse especially as it's gotten bigger of course because more and more people are posting to it but on top of that because there is some clout to Dema, there is a lot of like pr people like submitting like there's like a series of like fashion people like submitting like tonight like Zendaya was wearing like this brand on her wrist or whatever and it was like very clearly a PR person has submitted this to promote mm-hmm. the whatever brand. I worked this event and you'd be surprised how nice this A-list member of a famous <laughs> e-reality TV show family is to employees. Yeah. Like she is so kind and sweet It's boring. And again, like, because so much of the gossip is unverified and, like, so much of the gossip is just random people, like, not even necessarily industry people, none of it really gets revealed. And also a lot of it's, like, really hard to decode. Like, I mean, at least, you know, barring, of course, the QAnon part of Crazy Days, like, at least in its heyday, you would get, like, some clear clues that would guide you to who it's about and they would eventually reveal it. After some time, they would definitely, the idea was you'd come back to the blog and you would see. But it's also been, like, vetted information. She's starting to do that, but it's also, I mean, just going back to, like, how boring a lot of the tips that she publishes are. Like, there was a whole thing that unfolded this weekend about, like, whether or not Paul Rudd is nice or mean. Like, that was the big controversy this weekend over, like, a Dumois tip. And that happens, like, all the time. It's just the most mundane shit. Like, who the fuck cares if Paul Rudd is nice or mean? Yeah. Yeah, By the way, I've met him. He's nice. Or at least he was nice to me. I would hope me. that he's nice. I get the vibe that he's nice. 
He was wildly hot. I don't know if that surprises you. (laughs) (laughs) So Demois has yet to comment or confirm. There was about like a day this week on where they hadn't posted. But of course, there's like random days where they won't post anything. But after a day off, they like went back to posting as much as they did. More Nicholas Braun sightings as they often do. And on TikTok, like some creators mostly just found it lightly juicy and mostly funny that the founders were older than they initially thought. Are we shocked that these are two middle-aged white women causing all this mess? No. Pretty much we kind of thought it was basically that. A lot of people thought these were like 20 something kind of like <laughs> aspiring it girls who were embedded in all these like parties or like kind of just trying to get like they're in their themselves. 30s. They're not that old. Know, Alexa Demi they, were all like, over again. they were like teens or like 20 somethings who just kind of were starting their career as opposed to like this has been something they've been doing for a decade. The only person who really celebrated and I'm surprised that more celebrities didn't kind of like talk about it or especially like the sort of. C-list people who get talked about a lot on there. The other person who kind of celebrated was Haley Bieber. She like had also apparently figured out who Dumas was back in December 2020. People dug up this Instagram story that she had posted where she said that she thought that she had found out who Dumois is, adding that she felt like she should work for the FBI and that she feels like she found she out no who Gossip Girl idea. is. Honestly, I feel like what else she didn't know. What else was Haley Bieber doing? She was recording those weird YouTube Modeling. videos of herself in her bathroom. No, she was in her bathroom, like recording those weird YouTube videos that nobody watched. This probably trying to find this out. She was sitting on her bed, staring into thin air, like Waiting she was doing in the Katie Bieber. Weaver. Yeah, yeah, GQ profile. And people made a big deal about the fact that she had liked Pop Crave of all people. Pop Crave's post on Feldman's revelation. Honestly, I kind of use Pop Crave like Associated Press, like how real j- journalists use Associated Press or oh, writers. Yeah, they're amazing. Pop Me Crave too. is my Associated Press or writers. I get all of my news from Pop Crave, so maybe I shouldn't be that surprised that Haley Bieber found this out from Pop Crave's Instagram and liked the post, seeming to corroborate the findings. But I don't know. She maybe she should have started a newsletter during the pandemic and outed Demois first. It's the one outlet like I genuinely like, basically. I remember when the election happened, I was like, if I don't find out who won from Popgrave, then it's not real. (laughs) If the queen dies and Popgrave isn't the one to break it, it's going to be weird. It's a little weird. I think we should start doing a queen death countdown. Do you think that's in poor taste? (laughs) Is the queen dead yet? (laughs) Yeah. Just at the top of every episode, is the queen dead yet? My British friends are going to be really pissed. But it's not a value judgment to say whether or not somebody is dead. It's not, are we happy? Countdown to that bitch, the queen, kicking the bucket, finally. (laughs) It's like, just countdown, is she dead? No. Honestly, that should be be a public service. Countdown to the bitch is dead. (laughs) (laughs) No, we could do like the Liza Minnelli outlives. You know that Twitter account? I actually had to block it because I kind of hate it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like Liza Minnelli outlived this person who just died or this relationship or whatever. I feel like that's meaner than is the queen dead yet? Because Liza Minnelli's been through a lot of shit. What has the queen been through? (laughs) What what problems does the queen have? I don't know. A lot of things. Her corgi has a hangnail? (laughs) What sort of like tragedy has the queen ever confronted? I don't know. Well... Stay tuned for Is the Queen Dead? <laughs> Which we have Stay to tuned for Pop Crave's tweet when the Queen does die. So for our interview this week, it's a pretty common problem if you're an adult content creator to get censored aggressively by platforms like Instagram and TikTok. And even if you're not, honestly, even if you're just like a hot girl like posting in a bikini, like you're probably likely to get your account taken down like at least once. Whether that's because you have a bunch of misogynists like reporting you or because of malfeasance or shadow banning on behalf of Instagram or any other large platform. 
it's fairly common if you post anything akin to sexualized content that you will get your account taken down. And this is despite these platforms allowing all sorts of other content on there. Guns, violence, people using their cats to reenact Amber Heard's assault testimony for clout. Like if an OnlyFans model happens to have a nip slip or even if they just like show up on Maine fully clothed posting about their dog, like they're likely to get their account taken down. It's a big problem. All of this is a very unsexy introduction (laughs) to this story of how one OnlyFans model has reportedly figured out how you can get your account back for free. Did you see this video? I did. Honestly, her methods, I would do the same. Yeah, who wouldn't? She's a folk hero. Yeah. Kitty Lixo has been banned from Instagram repeatedly. She had about 150,000 followers. She just got banned for the fourth time. But the first few times she found a way to get her account back, not once, but multiple times. As she detailed on the No Jumper podcast hosted by Adam22. I have a question. What's the sluttiest thing you ever done? Oh, probably pretty recently. So I've gotten my Instagram taken down like three or four times. Mm. And the first time that I got my Instagram down or that I got it shut down, um, I one of my friends, he works at Instagram. He's a guy friend. And so I started sleeping with him to have him get my Instagram back. This interview went massively viral for obvious reasons because it's a hot girl talking about fucking a bunch of nerds to get her account back, which is queen shit that we obviously support on here. Well, actually, let me ask you, Brittany, like it's canon that we hate nerds, right? I hate them so much. Yeah. Would you do this? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> It'd be so easy. Just, but you'd have to overcome your hatred for nerds. I mean, nerds love me. I'll use that to my Uh-oh. advantage. Nerds hate me. They smell the contempt. Yeah. They smell the contempt from a mile away. Yeah. but it also kind of like people were thought this was very empowering and like very funny but it also provided a peek into the dark side of instagram as owned by meta which is not directly commented on kitty's story about how sleazy and hypocritical the world of big tech is by profiting directly off sex workers without actually allowing them on its platforms we wanted to have kitty on the show to talk more about her experience and also what it says about content creators and social media in general just a note that Brittany was unable to attend this recording. So that's why you're not hearing her on here. Too busy boning nerds to get what I want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go find a, a lonely meta employee to get <laughs> goss on Mark Zuckerberg. So stay tuned for the next episode. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm -hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Well, thank you so much, Kitty, for coming on the podcast. Could you start by telling us your name and your pronouns and your profession? My name is Kitty Lixo. My pronouns are she, her. And my profession is I'm a full-time OnlyFans creator and podcaster. So you've obviously had a crazy couple days going viral for this interview. Can you just give me like the TLDR? How did, how did you lose your Instagram account the first time and then the second time? And I guess your account was deleted again, right? This is my fourth time now. Oh, wow. I didn't know why my account was taken down each time. But the message that I got from my end was that there was suspicious activity happening on my account. So they shut it down for review. And then after they shut it down for review, I just never got it back. And that's when I had to go to the guy that I was hooking up with and ask him to look look it up for me. And apparently 
they shut it down permanently after that for sexual solicitation, quote unquote. Why was it cited for that? I think it was the OnlyFans in the bio, but the OnlyFans is embedded in a link tree, mm-hmm. which is what most girls do. Most creators, they have a link tree and then their OnlyFans is, is somewhere in the link tree, right? I think whether or not a link tree is allowed on your Instagram is is kind of a gray area because once it was submitted for review again and again, the ruling came back that it was closed by mistake. I think the the inconsistency happens in the review process. It really depends on who gets your case, who opens it and what their judgment is. Did you post like nudity or sexually explicit content on, on your feed? Like, did you violate the platform guidelines in any material way? No. The first time I, I still had like some lingerie pics and stuff, but there was nothing showing anything. When I got it back the second time, I went through my feed and deleted everything that was like lingerie related. I would like crop tops and we have some cleavage, like bathing suits. And by the third time, my account was banned and got back. I had deleted pretty much everything. I had clothes on in like every picture. Like I barely had a bathing suit picture. Do you think you were targeted because of what you do for a living? Yeah, I think that people do tend to hate on sex workers. So all they have to do is go and report your count at mass to get it taken down. So you said this was a guy you were hooking up with that you approached to try to get your account back. Was this a pre-existing relationship that you had made? Because the narrative on the internet is kind of like, oh, this OnlyFans model, you know, went out and found some people to have sex with to get her account back. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty sexy headline. <laughs> the first guy that I hooked up with was a guy that um, I had a pre-existing relationship with. But or after he got it back, we just ended up not hooking up anymore because... I kind of fucked it up with us. I I was hooking up with other people. So I kind of ruined our relationship. So I knew how the review process works. So I made strategic friends with other people at Meta and they got my accounts back the second and third time. And were these people you were romantically involved with? Yeah, there was no like quid pro quo. There was no like, hey, like if I if I like blow you, will you put in a review for me? There was there was no explicit exchange for service slash sex or whatever. Was that sort of in the back of your mind, though? Of course. I have to ask, I mean, is this story for real? Like, it seems it seems kind of difficult to have sex with three separate people just to get your accounts back. Yeah, it's it's for real. I think they have a campus in L.A. and some of the people that I found already followed our podcast. So I had to just reach out to them through like my backup account. What have you heard from other sex workers since your interview went viral? Is this is this something that's commonly done to get accounts back? I don't think so. I think that other sex workers have asked me if I can help them get their accounts back. (laughs) Okay. I've also, you know, I've gotten a fair amount of like some hate from other sex workers because they don't think that I represented sex workers in a good way. Why not? I'm not sure. I mean, I've gotten a couple messages from girls and they just said that they didn't, you know, like they didn't think that what I was doing was right, which is, I mean, they're totally entitled to their opinion of what I did and you know, sticking by that. What has the feedback been like from people outside the industry? I think it's been mixed. I don't really read the comments on things just because I don't really want to be affected by like the negativity because I'm sure there is a lot of negativity. But from kind of the few things that I've read on Reddit, some forums and some comments is, I think most people are amused, if anything. But I think this definitely does resonate with a lot of people because Instagram's random banning without giving reason to is something that kind of resonates with a lot of people, not just sex workers, but just creators in general. Also, like not even creators, but just people with normal Facebook accounts or personal Instagram accounts, because I think the creators, the sex workers are the ones that are most vocal about it. But it does happen to just random people, too. 
and they don't really have a platform, another platform to go and um, complain about it or say something about it. So do you think it was you're getting banned was the byproduct of mass reporting or by Instagram targeting you? That's hard to say. I don't think Instagram targeted me. I think it's probably because of people online, um, especially after this article went viral. I'm sure there was like a lot of people that came on and, and just started reporting my account. So I don't it's hard to say. I don't really think Instagram is actually targeting sex workers. I think where it goes wrong is there's not really transparency in why people are getting banned. And I think, and if there's no, if there's no reason why people are getting banned, then they don't know, even if they do start another account, start all over again, they don't know what they're doing wrong and it could happen again. So I think that's where like the biggest issue lies. That there's no transparency or, or clarity in the content guidelines. Yeah. I mean, your Instagram has been disabled again for the fourth time. Yeah. Do you think that was retaliatory from Instagram at all? Because you're kind of like exposing their dirty little secrets here. Honestly, I don't think I'm exposing anything that people wouldn't like that. It's against the guidelines to know. Like, I don't think I mean, I still have friends that work at Meta. There's nothing wrong with telling people how the review process works. There's nothing technically against the the rules for like, you know, fraternizing with friends outside of the company. So I, I feel like what I kind of did was just I kind of socially engineered a situation that was beneficial for me and for, you know, like my friends. I don't think Instagram went in and shut down my account as re- retaliation. Have you heard from Instagram at all since that interview went viral? No, I haven't. I don't think this is big enough that Instagram would actually respond to it. Regardless of whether it's actually technically against company guidelines for you, for employees to do what they did, it's still pretty embarrassing for Instagram. I mean, what your interview kind of did was just expose that this is a thing going on, that this is sort of like an under underground exchange going on and just how inconsistently they apply their own guidelines. Yeah. There wasn't really like an underground exchange because I, I knew that all I needed was like reviews getting put in for me. So I just found people that I knew that would work there that would, I don't think there's any like actual like underground sexual like exchange or conspiracy going on. I do know that there's a huge business in um, people with access to a creator support panels selling mm-hmm. their accounts back. I think there's definitely something there, not sexually, but like monetarily, there's people with access to. Cre- Absolutely. So I know that's going on for sure. So I think my story kind of just, it, it was a really sensational story, but it kind of just called to attention that yes, in fact, like Instagram does have some faulty practices, you know, as far as banning accounts. My story kind of just did that, if anything. Why do you think this resonated with so many people? Do you think it was just the sensationalism of OnlyFans model, like fucks three people at Meta to get her (laughs) account back? Or do you think it like actually says something about platforms and content moderation in general? Yeah, both. (laughs) The headline itself is just, like an incredibly sensational headline, which I understand. But I think underneath that is definitely um, something that resonates with people because as a creator, um, you work really, really hard. Whether you're a sex worker or whether you're just like a normal, like a lifestyle blogger or whatever, you work really, really hard to create this brand for yourself and to like sell yourself. And you need these platforms to, in order to like continue your growth and to and in your business. And these platforms need you too, because you're a creator on their platform. And it kind of just seems that like when, when something like this happens, the platform doesn't appreciate what their platform is built off of, which is, you know, the creators. Yeah. I think that's, is, 
ultimately why this story resonated with people. Absolutely. And have you heard back from any of the three people you had relations with at Meta? Yeah, they were pretty amused. They thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> were they? Yeah, they, they, they weren't mad at all. Um, everyone that I know at Meta is like really, really cool. And yeah, even if you're not, even if you don't have your account taken down and you just want to make some friends at Meta, I, I think you should. They're really cool people. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know if I'm going to do that, <laughs> but I, I will take your word for it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kitty, for coming on the podcast and talking to us about your viral moments. Yeah, no problem. Let's do Hempo of the Week because I love crowning hot idiots every single week, but this week our hot idiot is not human. So, <laughs> sounds like that's awesome. so excited for this. So excited. <laughs> that was a chilling way to introduce this. So, we are big karaoke fans over at Flop Pod, as Brittany coined. I don't want to take credit for that. It's all Brittany. Yeah. Two flops, one pod. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But I'm not sure I would feel comfortable going back to my go to karaoke spot because my thing is I always need to be the best singer in the room. Like, that's not negotiable for me. That's not my vibe. I like to be the hottest person in the room, but I don't need to sing well. And I like to do a lot of floor work. That's my karaoke vibe. What's floor work? Like dance? I get on the floor. Or like, like literally lay on the floor. Oh. And perform impassioned on the floor. Like a Russian gymnast? <laughs> like, what do you <laughs> mean floor work. floor work? It's floor work. Like get on my knees, get on my back, like do a lot of dancing, a lot of choreo on there. I have not performed Creep by Radiohead standing upright. How else are you supposed to sing a song? Standing? <laughs> it <Weird>. is hard. <laughs> Especially if you've been drinking, it is difficult. Yeah. Well, I don't know if if I would be the best singer in the room or if you would be the hottest person in the room if we competed against our first non-human himbo of the week, Tico. Our king. He is a double yellow-headed Amazon parrot. I don't know what that means. I didn't look it up as we've established. Parrots, we hate nerds on this podcast. Parrots are the himbos of the animal kingdom. You don't think flamingos? No. All flamingos do are look pretty and no, stand there. Flamingos and are camp. <laughs> Parrots, himbos. <laughs> Flamingo, they're staring camp right in the eye, like Carly Kloss in that one photo. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's a double yellow-headed Amazon parrot. You can look that up if you want to. I, I, I didn't. I don't, I don't care to. But he first made his name singing classic rock covers with his dad, Frank Maglio, where he honestly sounds like a better version of Nancy Wilson from Heart to me. Here he's doing Freebird. He's got some real Axl Rose vibes. And he's since made the transition to TikTok where he's found his niche doing more improvisational work. When I saw this on my For You page the other day, I just passed away. Harry Styles is somewhere shaking. <laughs> it's giving like very much Sally Bowles. Yeah. Like Sally Bowles after she's like when she's on her Coke binge at the end of Cabaret and like the walls are closing in on her and the Third Reich is like coming up and she's just like falling apart. Like this is like that's the kind of pain that Tico has gone through. Yeah. Tico is really he's singing, singing from his soul. His dad is also very hot. Yeah, I would. Did you notice? I would. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely like doesn't look a like a nerd. To... I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't look like a nerd. In fact, quite the opposite. 
He looks like somebody who has a friend in waste management. Yeah. If you know what I mean. He knows a guy. He knows a guy. He can get something taken care of. Yeah. But he chooses to channel that energy by being the parrot dad to the most talented singer in the world. So congratulations on winning our first non-human Himbo of the Week award. We love you, Tico. Tico, we love you. I hope whoever hurt you is caught and punished to the full extent of the law. Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop. Please share this podcast with someone you love or someone you hate. Either way, we don't care which one. This podcast is brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network, written and hosted by me, Britton Spanos, and EJ Dixon, executive produced by Jason Fine, Bridget Chelsea, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul, and produced by Jesse Cannon, with music by Brian DeMeglio. 